the Old Testament lesson comes to us this morning from Genesis 15, verses 1 through 21. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you, you have given me no offspring. And so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and, and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in two. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. They shall come, be come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Does it remind you of the sanctuary here? On the day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenzazites, and the Kedamites, and the Hittites, and the Pezzarites, and Rephim, and the Amorites, the Canaanites. Whatever that is. And the Jebusites. Amen. <laughs> what? The Gergerites, the Gergeshites. All right. Well, you've just seen how dumb a stone as I am. 
Well, the, first, the epistle lesson this morning comes to you from the first epistle, the first epistle of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you remember your aha moment? We all have that aha moment. Well, for me, I've had three. Uh, it, I, I'm kind of dense that way. I, I don't listen very well. And in fact, I don't read the signs. In fact, I can't read words very well. The first for me was late one night. The first for me was late one night, or should I say early one Monday morning, way after curfew, after I had attended a youth group meeting at a Christmas party at the Roman Catholic Church with their youth group. I won't tell you what I was doing. My dad showed grace. And a teaching lesson he provided me was in a question that he asked of me. They'll save that lesson for another day. The third, the third aha moment when, when I finally said okay to God, to follow God's call to ministry. After three back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back events, the second... The second was today's text. I was a newly ordained elder and was asked to, to attend the confirmation class with some other elders as well. We, we would be mentors to the kids. One of, one of the kids, and it would happen to be the kid I would mentor, one of the kids asked the question, why did Jesus have to come? I thought, oh, profound question and expected some of the same rhetoric that my Sunday school teachers and pastors had taught me. I expected a few words from the Synoptic Gospels and then an exclamation point of John 3.16. Then Drew, the pastor Drew, wiped the whiteboard clean 
wiped it completely clean and wrote down on the very top, Genesis 15, 1 to 21. What? What? He, he had us open our Bibles to the text. We then carefully read it out loud. As we read, he drew the pictures on the board, creating an aisle on that side and an aisle on this side. The lesson on what a covenant is changed my life. It changed my view of life. It changed my view of this. Let's just say it enlivened me. It was my second aha moment. God knew from the very beginning what needed to be done to get us into a new relationship with God, a blood covenant with Abram, where God made the covenant with God's self. We broke that covenant, and the only way it could be made well is God to send the Son to die to make that covenant good. Imagine, imagine Abram, imagine Abram talking directly to God, a divine conversation with God, the creator, the creator, the omnipotent one, created the universe, all the stars above, all the sand below, and knows the numbers of them. He comes to Abram and promises him the most important rewards a would-be patriarch could desire, a positive promise of an heir. Abram is to have an heir with descendants more numerous than those stars, if he could count them. Perhaps it's this incredible generosity that's so difficult for many of us to accept. We, we like to think of ourselves as, as being people who inherently trust God. Yet, Richard Niebuhr repeatedly maintained that the first response, the first response of humanity towards God is that of distrust, always questioning. Although God is good to us, we do not trust God. Like most of us, Abram knows, just like us, that he is not all that good or all that deserving. Therefore, it's difficult for him, just like us, to believe and accept that he, just like us, might be blessed beyond measure. Yet, miraculously, God gives Abram blessings in turn gives us a blessing, a covenant, a blood covenant that we will break and God will make good through the gift of Jesus the Christ. Rather than being grateful, however, Abram, Abram is uncooperative, just like us. We're a rebellious lot. 
Still, God loves us so much that God gives us the Son. And God fulfills the covenant that God made with God's self. All that is asked of us, all that's asked of us is to believe. Is to believe. And in that belief, we have a faith, a love, an obedience that is centered in Jesus, that Son. What comes out of the covenant through Jesus by the Holy Spirit is a love ethic that is central to us being children of God. The nature of a Christian obedience in the world and the identity of Jesus Christ. The text we read this morning by, by John exposes us to the intricacies of loving God. Loving God is inseparably bound to believing that Jesus is the Messiah and the begotten of God incarnate. Like justification and sanctification. The real question is, Do we love God completely? Do we love God completely with our every ounce, or our every ounce of being? John's text this morning demands that we come clean. Which God do you love? Which God do you love? Do you love the God of the stained glass windows? of this sanctuary? The God of that brand new car that you just got? Your family? Name that God. The God that we must love, the God that you and I must love has a child, the Son, Jesus. God and the child come together. Love of God will draw us intimately toward the love of the Son and to each other. So if we have the love of God and we love Jesus, there is an intricacy of love that continues with another point of inseparability. Loving God entails loving God's children, God's other children, us. The, the faith in Jesus, the love of God, the love of one another, and obedience to God are therefore all bound together. The tethering, the tethering of love should remind us of the words of Jesus that echo the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus adds, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Augustine captures one angle of this tethering when he states, with love, with love, the faith of a Christian. Without love, the faith 
of a devil. Love ushers in obedience. And through that love, by that love, and in that love, we are assured that the commands of God are not a burden. To love is not a burden. That the love acknowledges the advent of the new command in Christ, which completes the circle of love. Neighbors as self. Christ completes God's command, which allows us to move forward, clothed in Christ, obeying the commands of the Son of God, who loved us and gave of himself for us. It's in Christ that God enables the obedience that God asks of for us. Calvin Calvin suggests that these love commands and these actions we are moved to, God calls and we respond, where God first loves so that we can then love as God does, are not grievous or or onerous because the Spirit of God regenerates us. So just as the Son is begotten of the Father, so too we are born from above by the Spirit. We are not begotten in the same sense in which the Son is begotten. From all eternity of one being, With the Father, we are begotten through faith. So our life as children of God allows us to participate in a particular child's life. That child is is Jesus. This son, this child, Jesus marks the new way. And Jesus marks the new way past, present, and future. We participate in the ongoing life of Jesus in the world through the Spirit. The promised Son continues to overcome the world in us and through us. Why? Because Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. And the person of Jesus of Nazareth is the eternal Son of God, uniquely entered into human history and became a real human being. He is truly the Word of God. And that is the perfect and culminating expression of God's mind and heart. It's God's will. It's God's character. Present in the intimate fellowship of the Holy Trinity. Yes, this is the first text where we explicitly see the Trinity. And it goes from eternity and fully engaged with the Father in the work of creation and redemption... You see, becoming human, Jesus had in him all the fullness of God, dwelling and is God with us. Emmanuel, a living tabernacle of God's holy presence, full of grace, full of truth. And his divine human identity is upheld by the true witness of Scripture in his divine conception and virgin birth. In God's own testimony concerning Jesus, in Jesus' supernatural works of healing and deliverance, in his obedience to the point of sacrificial death and his bodily resurrection from the dead and exaltation to heaven. He is Lord over everything, over all of creation. And the significance of this 
in Christ. We are dealing with God, God's very essence. In Christ, we are having a see and see a human being who truly represents us. Jesus Christ is God's only mediator between God and humankind and God's unique agent for the salvation of the world. He's also the perfect expression of what humanity, what humanity was designed for, what was designed to be. In his complete obedience, he became the representative human being, a second Adam, modeling for us human life and offering to God on our behalf human life. That's rightly in God's image, reflecting God's glory in a holy, submitted life of steadfast love and righteousness. This same Lord Jesus the Christ, the incarnate Son of God, as attested to in Scripture, is to be the center of our proclamation, the center of our worship, our discipleship, and our mission. Paul defined Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, or all things have been created through him and for him. And he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn. And he is the end. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself through all things, whether on earth or whether in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And it is through the peace and love of Jesus that we too overcome. Our, our overcoming is not a bypass around hostility or controversy, violence, or even death. It's a faithful character formed through careful listening to the Spirit while we're in the throes of trouble. Friends, make no mistake about it. The throes of evil are all around us, and we are in a battle. Yes, a battle, a true battle, a battle for the truth, a battle for the souls around us. And the consequences now of being born of God comes out of our identity of Jesus, announced this morning as the one who came by water and blood. Through new birth, we gain new determination for our lives, as was the case Jesus we, you and I, are called to make visible our obedience to God in precise places in our lives when we are called to be in the world but not of the world. And at those places, the overcoming reality of our faith opens a space for us to choose a different path, a better way. We reject evil and choose the way of love.
We choose the way of love, the way of Jesus Christ, all because of the covenant made with Abram some 4,000 years ago. A patriarch of Judaism, patriarch of Christianity, the patriarch of Islam. When God made that covenant and fulfilled it on our behalf and sent Jesus the Son to be born, to live, to teach, to suffer, to die, and rise again so our sins are wiped clean and we have an eternal seat at the throne of God after we die. Friends, God acted. And now we must respond. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you great thanks for your Son. We give you great thanks for the Spirit that rests in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that that Spirit activates in our minds, our very bodies, and our very souls so that we might reflect your face in and outside these four walls of this church to do the mission and ministry that you call each of us to do. To love. To love God. To love our neighbors. And especially to love our enemies. It is a divine love. And for that, all of God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and of course on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.